One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Pitts. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about a white-collar crime that turned violent. And I'll be talking about Anthony Curcio, a man who planned the almost perfect crime so meticulously that he nearly got away with it. Ooh. I've never heard of that one. Ooh. (laughs) Ah. after the person we, reveals their case. Because we do it every time. I know, but maybe our listeners don't know this. We don't know what case the other person's going to do, yeah. typically. Like, we'll text back and forth and be like, hey, just to make sure we're not doing the same case, I'm doing a case that involves a mom. Yeah, we never <laughs> yeah. we never say, yes. I'm doing the Casey Anthony no. case. We do, yes. I'm, I'm doing a recent one that yes. involves this one thing. Yes. Because we like to be surprised, too. We do. And that's why we do those dorky sounds. That's right. It's not because we're actual dorks. Certainly not. (laughs) All right, here we go. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. White collar crime, you love. I love white collar crime. Love it. Things that go violent, I love. It's the perfect, it's like you and me had a baby. Together. (laughs) How did it happen? (laughs) Don't worry about it. Okay, and I have to start off by saying this almost exclusively comes from an episode of American Greed. Excellent. And I'm not going to tell you the title of it now because it kind of gives it away, but All right. you know. Got it. I'll keep that in mind. Keep it in mind. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Paul Cruz. Paul grew up the son of a traveling pastor. Mm. So he and his. Suspect him already. <laughs> <laughs> You're very smart. <laughs> He and his seven siblings moved around a ton, obviously, mm-hmm. and his parents never had much money. They had this huge family, and usually they had maybe a one or two bedroom house for all these kids. But that didn't bother Paul's parents. His parents thought that there was virtue in being poor. Mm-hmm. Paul disagreed. Did not share that sentiment. <laughs> From pretty early on in his life, he appreciated the finer things. Uh He grew up, got his start in the working world as a youth minister, but there's not a lot of money in that. If he's trying to make money, that's not the way to go. (laughs) So he started working as a real estate developer. Paul was charming and convincing and got a lot of people to invest in his development. But then the whole thing went bust. Mm. And it went so badly that one of his investors literally wanted him dead. Ooh. So he moved out west. He was like, I got to get away from this. By the way, I'm sorry, folks. If you can hear a buzzing, it's because my neighbor is mowing his lawn and it's driving me crazy. That's technically a weed eater. No, it's not. It's a lawnmower. It is not. Really? out there. Yeah, yeah. What? That's the worst lawnmower I've ever Um, heard. It's a tear. Here I am shitting on my neighbor's lawnmower. It's not a nice lawnmower. Literally shit on your neighbor's lawnmower. (laughs) That's a real mess. (laughs) No, it sounds like a weed eater. Does sound like a weed eater. No, I thought one hundred percent it was a weed eater. I am sorry for attempting to correct you when I was the one who was incorrect. Mm. Gosh, how many times do we have to have this conversation? So anyway, 
He moves out west and in the early 80s got a job working with his brother, John. They worked at a company where they sold mutual funds and insurance to military families. And both the brothers did really well. Paul, in particular, was super successful. He liked to show off his success. He went on flashy vacations, always drove the best cars. Mm-hmm. and But after working at this firm for like 20 years, he got fired. Oh, shit. For what? Okay, that's what drives me crazy. They didn't say? No. <sighs> Let's see. What do we think he got fired for? Well, okay. My assumption... Mm-hmm. I tell you what, let's revisit later. Because you don't want to give anything away. Yeah, I don't want to give anything away. Got it. All right. But for now, now, I'm just going to assume it's because he sexually harassed his boss. (laughs) (laughs) That's most likely the scenario. So it was horrible for him because he loved making tons of money, was used to making tons of money, and all of a sudden, he wasn't. For a while, he struggled just to make ends meet. Eventually, he moved to Jacksonville, Florida. So he worked there for a few years as a financial advisor, and he built up a client list, which included a woman named Jarlene May Jones and her husband. They were friends of Paul's, and they first met, went to him in 2003. Okay. They wanted his help making an investment, and damn did he ever help. They started with $28,000, and in two years, they had $46,000. Wow! Yeah. They were amazed. Yeah. Paul had pulled through. So, of course, in 2010, when Paul started a new business, they went with him. Of course we'll invest with you. His new business was called Yorkshire Financial Services. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. 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 Suspect him already. Yep. You got that trying to sound fancy with that British name. Yep. Yep. Don't like it one bit. We see you, Jacksonville, Florida. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So he's ready to get back on top, and this is his ticket. He called himself a safe money specialist. Hmm. He starts looking for clients, and of course, Darlene was one of the first people to sign on. She'd just retired as a general manager for Pizza Hut, and she had about $100,000 saved. And of course, she trusted him. So she tells him what she's got, and he's like... I can grow that. Don't worry. You put that in the stock market with me, with my new company, and we'll watch it grow. Mm-hmm. And I can't totally remember, but I think this was like all the money yeah, she had. I'm sure it is. Her life savings. Yep. Looking back, Darlene said, I had the utmost confidence that it was going to be okay. I don't, Darlene. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like since I'd worked with Paul before... That he was honest with me and that he was going to do what was best for me and that my money would grow and that I would be well set for my future. Mm. Poor Darlene. Yeah. This is not going to go well for her. So she signs up and he's like, excellent choice. He sends her this letter welcoming her to the Yorkshire financial family, which I hate when people say something's Mm -hmm. a family that's not a family. (laughs) And he's like, hey, we are one of the oldest financial services companies in the United States. That's bullshit. He just started it. Brandy, details. (laughs) We've been operating for more than 30 years. What? We have investors from all over the globe. 
He's just making stuff up at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But the truth um, wouldn't be that reassuring, right? Like, no, I know I just started this company. And I'm a guy who's been investor. fired. Yeah. <laughs> Darlene's like, wow, this is great. Paul makes this pitch to more people. He told people that he'd assembled a team of traders who could beat the stock market. What he offered them was unbelievable. He said, your principal investment is totally safe. Whatever you put in, you cannot possibly lose. And here's what you can expect from me in return. An annual return of anywhere between 10 and 15%. Wow. Yeah. So what he's saying is... So he's saying if she puts $100,000 in that she could make in one year, expect to make ten dollars to $15,000 mm-hmm. on that investment. Yeah. And her $100,000 is not at risk Yeah, it's at completely all. safe because he's a safe money specialist. Right. I heard it. I don't believe it. <laughs> but I did hear it. Okay. <laughs> so he's telling people there's no risk, which... Talk about too good to be true. No shit. Let me invest your money and there's zero risk yeah. to you. You can only make money. Now, this is going to surprise everybody. This was all bullshit. What? I know. So what Paul did was brazen. It's not like he took some of their money and took a crazy high percentage of it. No, he literally took their money and just spent it. Oh, my gosh. So the investors he ended up attracting were hardworking people who pretty much gave him everything they had. Yeah. They transferred 401ks and IRAs over to his company in the hopes that he'd make them more financially secure. Uh. Yeah. So things are going great for Paul. He's back on top. He's making great money again. No, he's stealing money. Brandy. This is <laughs> you're talking about one of the most respected and oldest financial institutions in the United States. <laughs> the only problem was he was feeling kind of lonely. Needed a woman? Yeah. <laughs> he found out about this woman who had six kids and had fallen on hard times. Her name was Amy Weatherford, and Paul knew her sister. So he makes a deal. He says, Amy, look, you're having a tough time financially. Let's make a deal. I'm in this big house. I'm, a, I'm lonely. Come live with me, rent-free. If you clean the house every now and then and go on a few grocery runs and do some personal errands for me, we'll be even. Mm-hmm. Amy's like, amazing. Paul is clearly a good Christian man. He's helping me out, and I'm helping him out. I'm so lucky. So Amy and two of her kids move into Paul's house. Where where are the other four kids? I assume they were grown. Oh, okay. I assume. I don't know. Or maybe... She didn't leave them at the last house. (laughs) I hope not. If (laughs) if she did, they left that out of the American Green episode. (laughs) No, I I don't really know. Okay. And you're making faces about this arrangement... I'm also making faces, but this is how it was presented in the episode. And I didn't find anything online to, you know, go against that. So, there we go. All right, I'll change my face. No, you don't have to, because I'm I'm kind of the same way. Like, this seems really strange. (laughs) It's a really weird arrangement. Yeah. Okay. So, 
he just wants some companionship, so he'll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying it. No. All right, American Greed. <laughs> anyway, Amy and two of her kids move into Paul's house. And at first, she didn't know much about his business. All she knew was he was a financial guy. But she did notice a few things. He was totally disorganized. Papers everywhere. Mm -hmm. And he spent and spent and spent his money. It was super weird. Because one minute, he'd have a ton of money. He'd blow it all. And then he'd be like, hey, Amy, can I borrow a little bit of cash? What? Yeah. Right? What? Uh Uh-huh. Then one day, she goes into his bedroom where he was doing some work. And she sees that he's signing some paperwork, but not signing his own name. So she's like, what you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm just signing some clients' names. And she goes, so you have power of attorney to do that? And he's like, well, yeah, of course. And she's like, all right. All right. Okay. All right. Things continue to go well for Paul's business. So well that his brother John joins him. And John had been in the business for a long time. But at some point, he'd lost his financial licenses Mm -hmm. uh, for forging documents and misrepresenting information to clients. Oh, weird. Yeah, I know. Weird. Runs in the family, huh? (laughs) Hey. Hey. (laughs) Paul totally had power of attorney for all that stuff. You are so suspicious. (laughs) Um, So despite all that, John still had relationships with a few clients. Mm-hmm. And of course, he brought all those relationships to Yorkshire Financial. Is it Yorkshire or Yorkshire? Shire. I mean, it's made it's up anyway. It's not Yorkshire. So. For <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so I think the English, like the American pronunciation yeah. is Yorkshire. The English, like the British pronunciation yeah. is Yorkshire. What about when it's total bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's when it's Yorkshire. <laughs> Um, So he gave them the same pitch that Paul gave his clients. This is a better financial opportunity than what you're currently getting. You're going to get higher returns here. Yorkshire Financial Services has a staff of highly trained traders. They're the best. Mm. They're so good that they beat the market every time. They're so good they're invisible. (laughs) (laughs) Even better, your principal investment is totally safe. You can't lose money. You'll only make it. I mean, if it's too good to be true, like if it sounds too good to be true, Mm -hmm. then it is. But I get like these people that are investing are not, you know. They're not savvy. Yeah. 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 And I think also, I mean, what the hell do I know? But my assumption is that if you don't have kind of parents who've taught you some of this stuff, yeah, then maybe you do feel like, oh, no, 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 the stock market is too big a risk. Yeah. I, you know, I can't invest in it because then all my money will be gone. Right. And, you know, when, like, if you've looked at it more, you know, no, you give it enough time, you know, it tends to trend yeah. upward. Yeah. This has been Fine. Dave Ramsey. <laughs> Financial segment with Kristen Pitts. <laughs> Expecting a UPS shipment? That's a male stripper I've hired to come <laughs> to the door. Somebody arms, call arms about a package? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I don't know what that's about. Maybe they're going to the neighbor. Nope, they're coming here. Whoa! Oh, oh. Get him, Peanut! 
kill, kill, kill. You've trained your whole life for this. <laughs> okay, where the hell was I? Uh, oh, okay. So, okay. a few of the clients were a little skeptical. Mm-hmm. One emailed John and was like, look, this is my life savings. This is yeah. everything I have. Is this really safe? And John said, yeah, 100%. I would put my own money into this. I would never risk your money. In exchange for John bringing in these clients, Paul paid him $100,000. And he took the rest of the money for himself. Yeah. By this point, Amy had been living with Paul for a few months. And his spending was unreal. He bought a Jaguar. He bought a Mercedes. He revamped his BMW in blue and orange. Like That sounds hideous. Go Gators. Oh, yes. I know. I think it sounds absolutely it awful. It sounds ugly. Amy said it was pretty cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds awful. Yeah. Paul gets less lonely. He starts dating an exotic dancer, and he buys her all the things. Jewelry, clothes, trips, boobs, Boobs! Yeah, he bought her boobs! (laughs) Enhancements. All with money he took from these clients. Yeah. Okay, so is he forging documents to show that they're getting returns on their investments during all of this? I assume. Yeah. All right. How would you feel if someone stole your money? To buy their girlfriend a boob job? I would be so pissed. <laughs> would that be worse than just stealing money? And yeah. Money? Really? Yeah. They made a big deal out of it in the episode. I didn't, I just think it sucks in general. I don't know that I'd be. Well, there's no way to recover the money from that. That's a very good point. <laughs> <laughs> you can't return the boobs. You know, in that way. It's like investing in your education. No one can ever take it away from you. <laughs> you get implants. People can't take that away. They yeah. can't repo that. That's they're not right. going to tow those away. <laughs> hook two hooks up to him and. Oh, now this is getting gross. <laughs> Try to keep it classy, okay? Sorry. Then he spends hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy part of a stone company. And then he spent more than $100,000 revamping his house with, like, a fountain in the backyard and, you know, redid everything. So he's taking people's life savings, spending their hard-earned money on boobs and lawn fountains. So Amy's like... (laughs) (laughs) So Amy's kind of like, this is weird, but I guess this guy is just really good at what he does. Then her 17-year-old daughter approaches her. She says, Mom, Paul has been texting me. Amy looks at the text. Inappropriately. Paul has texted her 17-year-old daughter, I'll buy you a BMW if you show me your boobs. (gasps) You don't have to tell your mother. Why would he do that in text, first of all? Is he stupid? (laughs) Is that the part that makes you mad? No, the whole thing makes me mad. But I'm just saying, if she's living in the house there, just like whisper it to her in the kitchen. (laughs) It is really stupid. Why would you send proof? Uh, We're going to get more into Paul and how fucking stupid he is. But this guy. Super stupid. Dumb, 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 dumb. Excellent. 
Amy is livid. She confronts him and she was blunt. She said, they won't find your body parts if you ever make a pass at my kid again. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, American Greed used the word allegedly a few times in this story. Yeah. They They said they asked him about it and he didn't deny it. But, you know. Yeah. Allegedly. Blah. I assume he agreed to back off. But Amy was still... She didn't move out? No. I assume she couldn't afford to. Must be, yeah. Uh, But she was like, you know what? That wasn't very satisfying. How dare he go after my child? I'm going to get back at him. And I think I know how to do it. Because... I don't think this Yorkshire financial services business is legit. Wow. So Amy is crafty as fuck. She said, Paul, I really want to step it up around here. You're disorganized and I want to help you. If you need to get these promissory notes out, you know, let me pitch in. Let's make it my part-time job. You win, I win. And he's like, great, sure. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. So she starts looking at his bank records because it's her job now. Mm-hmm. And what she sees is crazy. Over the course of one month, $400,000 goes in. And $400,000 goes out. How do you even spend $400,000 in a month? That's, yeah, that's amazing to me. Because they said the boob job was only five grand, so that's... <laughs> Ooh, that's kind of a low-grade boob job. I was going to say, if you're going to spend some money, I would say skimp on the lawn fountain. Yeah, go balls to the wall on the boob job. (laughs) This is part two of our financial (laughs) advice segment. (laughs) So she's like, what am I looking at here? She sees all these purchases, but none of them had anything to do with stocks and bonds and investments. Of course they didn't. She didn't know exactly what she had, but she knew she had something. So she made copies. Then she emailed the FBI. And Agent Byron Thompson was on the case immediately. In March of 2011, Paul went to China, and that's when Amy met up with Agent Thompson. She's like, here are all my files. Have at it. I don't know what I've got here, but you can figure it out. Agent Thompson starts looking into everything. He does a deep dive into Paul's background. And he's like, what the hell is with this guy? He was on the right track for a lot of his life. Mm -hmm. He was actually a legit financial guy for a long time. He went from that to stealing people's money, money from people he actually knew. Yeah. So Agent Thompson sought out Paul's clients to let them know that this whole thing was a scam. But he said that a lot of people didn't believe him (gasps) at first. Wow. They were like, that's not possible. First of all, this is all the money I have in the world. And I know Paul. He would not do this. He would not do this. Yeah. That kills me. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, initially... I reacted like I was shocked to that, but it just be denial. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no way that's ha- this is happening mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, I'm not stupid. And I bet the Bernie Madoff people were the same way. Oh, I feel yeah. like it doesn't matter what what your background is. Like, yeah. No, someone who knows me, who yeah. has been to my house, like they're not going to do that to no. me. No. Yeah. In the fall of 2011, the Fed started seizing Paul's assets. 
And Agent Thompson tried to meet with Paul, but Paul's like, nope, I'm not talking. Meanwhile, Darlene Jones, who was one of Paul's early investors, is, and I don't know if the FBI had talked to her at this point, I assume not, but she's trying to get money from her investments. Mm -hmm. So she calls Paul. She's like, Paul, I want to take some money out. And he's like, yeah, uh, you really can't do that right now. Um, It's super complicated. You just don't understand. You don't understand. (laughs) And what? What? I can't stop thinking about what you could put in your tiny pocket. (laughs) Okay, everyone. I'm wearing a shirt that has a tiny pocket. What would you like me to put in the tiny pocket? Like one lifesaver. That is all that would fit in there. You know what? It's actually a normal size pocket. It just looks small because my huge boob job that I got. I got a great deal. Five grand. Yep. Yep. I had a Groupon. Is that weird? Should I not have done that? Things you don't use a Groupon for. Boob job. Eyebrow microblading. Oh my god, no! <laughs> I saw I saw Groupons for bikini waxes, no, and even that, I, no, yeah. no, no. Some things I'll take a discount on. <laughs> I, no, those are not the things. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry for no. being distracted by your tiny pocket. Do you want to describe it for the folks at home? It's so tiny. Okay, so think of, you know, like um, a man's pocket tee. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like that, you know. When I was a kid, my grandpa used to wear them all the time, and I called them smoking shirts. Because really? he smoked, and he would put his pack of cigarettes in oh, that yeah, pocket. Yeah. And that's like the exact size people should be thinking of yeah. for a normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So then imagine it. Kristen's quite small, so just like. I'm tiny and beautiful. Just shrinking imagine Shrinking it. it down to Kristen's size. And then, but with the shirt shrinking, the pocket also shrinks. It's like, honey, I shrunk the pocket because, like, the pocket pocket. has shrunk too much. I feel like we're we're talking about how I look. Yes. Can we talk about last week? Yes. Please, please go ahead. Launch into it. Okay. So, my friend and former boss, Terry, commented on our Facebook page and she goes, Oh my gosh, why did I click this? Uh, now I know what Kristen looks like. This is not what I've been picturing her as. I'm sorry, Kristen. I'm going to have to continue picturing you as I have you in my mind. I'm too far in. I've been she listening. She seemed alarmed she and disappointed. She was super disappointed in Kristen's appearance. And so... And so I, I, you know, commented back. I was like, you know, as long as you're picturing her with normal sized ears, I'm sure that That's she'll all be good with life. it. Yeah. And so then um, Terry commented how she pictured Kristen. It was like this a beautiful supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was this gorgeous supermodel with dark hair. Yeah. You know, very smooth and sleek. And oh, yeah, all the angles in her face. Oh, and it's yeah. Like, let me tell you, if I looked like that. Do you think I'd be doing a podcast? <laughs> Kristen, you're very beautiful. Go on. <laughs> but you look nothing like uh, the picture that Terry had of you. I do have to say, I get it, though, because, like, I get so mad when there's a book. Yes. And I I know how the characters look in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a movie. They cast them. Nothing like they that. They never consult me. Yeah. Yes. It's like I'm not important. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Sorry for that tangent. Back to the story. Oh, it was totally relevant because I'm about to talk about pockets. Top, tiny pockets. <laughs> so yeah. all their money was gone. They had nothing to fill their tiny pockets. So they shrunk their pockets down <laughs> and then their bills felt bigger. It's kind of like how, you know, those idiots who are like, the trick is you just get smaller plates and then you don't notice that you're eating less food. It's like, well, I must be magical because I notice. So he's telling her, you know, you can't get the money out because it's super mm-hmm. complicated. You know, this is high level stuff you couldn't understand. And yeah. she's like, okay, yeah, sure. I I admit I don't understand. But am I going to get a check? Yeah. Because... For real, like, yeah, I don't need to understand the ins and outs of what you're doing, but... But I need my money. Yeah, but I need to know whether I'm going to get my money. Yeah. And he's like, hang on tight. Mm-hmm. About a month after that conversation, Paul called Agent Thompson. And he's like, look, you know I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. Let's get this over with. What? Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's the end. No, no. it's not. <laughs> A few days later, he signs a confession and turns himself over. What? I know. This is, this is insane to me. In his confession, he wrote that he was remorseful, and he acknowledged that he hurt a lot of people by stealing from them. He said, I'm guilty, and I was basically running a Ponzi scheme. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. After Paul confessed, his brother John was arrested, too, in Washington State. He was arrested at a gas station picnic table where he expected to meet a 13-year-old girl for sex. Oh, shit. But there was no 13-year-old girl. It was all part of the local police department's homebrewed version of To Catch a Predator. Oh, my gosh! (laughs) Now, Brandy, do you have any thoughts on that? Um... In the Cannibal Cop episode, you seem to have some issues with To Catch a Predator. And... I would just wonder how it can be prosecuted if he's never actually talked to a 13-year-old girl. Conspiracy. It's conspiracy to do the thing. All right. Are we going to have this fight again? No, I can't have the fight again, Grissom. Because <laughs> you come off looking too creepy. <laughs> so... They talked about this a little in the episode. They said John had a history of sexual deviance. Um, so he was sentenced to four years in prison. You'll notice that fetishes come up for the fourth time in a row on Kristen's episode. Damn it. Every time I try to... You know what? This is actually the fifth time. <laughs> oh, it is? Fifth time in a row, I think. Because last time I tried to say that Dr. Linda Hazard wasn't doing anything sexual, but you were like, no, she for sure was getting <gasps> gratification. You're right. This is the fifth time! I don't mm. seek these out. These things <laughs> seek me. The universe is the sending them to me. called to me. <laughs> I didn't ask to have a fetish for lawsuit fetishes. <laughs> Turns out this podcast is your fetish. It's <laughs> talking about weird lawsuits. Brandy, do not kink shame me. <laughs> so he was sentenced to four years in prison, which... I think if you have a history of sexual deviance, you should get more than that, but... What if his um, sexual deviance is not illegal? The the vibe I got from oh, American I'm Greed. I'm sorry that's the vibe you got. I'm just saying, like, lots of things can be declared sexually deviant, but they're not illegal. BDSM is sexually deviant. 
I am looking this up right now. <laughs> I hope you get all kinds of porn. <laughs> <laughs> got something. I got a hit. I got a hit. <laughs> oh, shit. I can't read you this because then I'm going to give stuff away. Okay, hang on. Hang on. Kristen is currently formulating a way to say that he did do something illegal in his deviance, and it wasn't just into feats and whips. Feats? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I can't find anything more on his sexual Mm -hmm. deviance, but it's not the point. (laughs) It may be all of our fetishes, but it's not the point. (laughs) Okay. So, in March 2012, a, a grand jury indicts both of the brothers on one charge of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and a few months later, John hanged himself in prison. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Paul was very upset about John's suicide, and that grief turned to anger. He was upset about John dying. He was hating prison. So, he starts thinking... Why on earth did I confess to this crime? I need to get out of here. What? Mm-hmm. And damn it, I'm a smart guy. If I think on this hard enough, I'll come up with a way to get myself out of here. What? That's when he took the poster off his prison wall. <laughs> <laughs> digging out a hole. A lot of people don't know that Shawshank Redemption is based on this story. So he does come up with a way to get himself out of prison. He thinks to himself, Amy is the reason I'm in here. Amy is going to be the star witness in the case against me. But if there's no Amy, there's no case. How's he going to kill Amy from inside prison? Just you wait. Okay. So he's thinking, if Amy's gone, I'm in the clear. I walk. Except you confessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, they had all the documents, and I mean, we could go yeah. on. Um, yeah, you might not have the woman who started the investigation, but you still have all the paper trails, you still have all the victims, you still have... Okay, anyway. all right, so what's his plan? Look, I'm not trying to say that Paul was a super smart guy, but you know, this was his plan. <laughs> Pretty soon, Paul gets moved to a new cell. And his cellmate, Dre, seems like a pretty well-connected dude. Is he a doctor? (laughs) On to the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) So Paul's like, ask and you shall receive. Here, I needed a way to get rid of Amy. Here's Dre. He's got connections to the outside world. So he says, hey, Dre. Do you know of anyone who could do a couple jobs for me? (laughs) It's like, what do you want, a handy? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, where did we hear that story about handy jays? Handy jays. Norm told us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Norm told us. (laughs) I wonder if this is an okay story to share. (laughs) If it's not, I'll cut it out. (laughs) So Norm was in L.A. recently. (laughs) With Gerard the Completionist, and like they did the charity stream, and I guess someone on that in that group whose name I can't remember 
said that handy J's meant like helping out around the house. Yeah, like handy, like being a handyman around the house or doing like, yeah, chores around the house. And everyone was like, no, that's for sure not what a handy J is. for sure a hand job. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You've been wrong your whole life. You've got to stop saying that. Uh, But the guy was like, no, no. And so they called the guy's mom. Yeah. For confirmation. And of course, his mom was like, What are you talking about? That's disgusting. That's disgusting. <laughs> How did we get on this? Oh my gosh. Uh, sorry, he's asking Dre to do some jobs oh. for him. Another quick story about people <laughs> thinking that something is totally innocuous and fine, but really it's not. Mm-hmm. I might have to cut this one out too. Kay. You know, my dad loves Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Have I told you this story? No. Okay, for the longest time. So my dad's name is Daryl Pitts. Yeah. It's been that way for the longest time. (laughs) No life. (laughs) So for the longest time, he would say, I need a DP for DP. Yeah. (laughs) DP. DP to him. I have a similar story to this where I did this. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, I'll tell this. You have to tell. So... I wonder if you got it from my dad. Probably. I'm probably sure that did. I did. Okay, so for the longest time, he would say, I need a DP for DP, which, of course, to anyone with an even slightly dirty mind means double penetration. Yes. But to him meant, I need a Dr. Pepper for Daryl Pitts. Yeah. So around the time when I realized how this sounded, mm-hmm. he, thank God, decided he was going to give up soda. Mm-hmm. And he gave up soda for a long time. But then, like, a year ago, he started drinking soda again. And I remember we were in the car. It was my mom and dad, me and Norman. And my dad said he wanted to stop at Quick Trip for a DP. And Norman's just, like, dying. Like, dying. He doesn't want to laugh at his father-in-law, but oh, man. And so I was like, Dad, you have to stop saying DP. And he's like, what, what, what? And my mom's getting kind of frustrated, too. Like, why, you know, why can't he say DP? Yeah, been calling it that for years. And I was like, look, sometime, not now, because there was no way in hell I was saying double penetration to my parents. I was like, sometime, not now, you need to look it up on Urban Dictionary. Well, of course, my mom immediately pulls out her phone. And then they got, like, mad at me about it. Like, I invented double penetration. (laughs) So now he doesn't say DP anymore. So I was at work one day Uh in the salon. (laughs) This has been several years ago. Yeah. And it had been like a busy day. It was a long day. And it had kind of like slowed down. And this salon was like inside another store. And so I was like, ugh. Girls, I am fading fast. I'm going to have to go get a DP. (laughs) The girls in the salon were like, what? Is that how you (laughs) re-energize? And I was like, a Dr. Pepper. (laughs) And then I like, it like clicked. I am sure that I called it a DP because that's what your dad has always called it. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that since we were in elementary school, he's called it a DP, but we... We're kids. We didn't yeah. know. And so you took that into adulthood. I did. And, yeah. and in a workplace environment, mm-hmm. you said you needed a, a DP. Because <laughs> you were fading <laughs> fast. 
Anyway, another very relevant tangent. Uh, Let's see here. So Dre's like, (laughs) Dre's like, sure, I know a guy who can help you with these jobs. On September 4th, 2012, Dre uses one of his, of the prison phones to call John Mm O'Leary. He gets John on the line and hands the phone to Paul. And Paul says, "Uh, I'm a friend of Dre's and I asked him to you know, get me a couple enforcers to do a couple jobs. And uh, so he gave me you. And so the uh, I'm going to court tomorrow. And Amy Weatherford is the star witness to the case. And uh, if there's no Amy Weatherford, there's no case. He says this in a prison phone call. Yeah. What's wrong with that? What a fucking idiot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's all the proof you need there to for a conspiracy to commit murder. Sure. I was shocked. How do... Is he the one guy on Earth who doesn't know that those calls are recorded? Holy shit. What a fucking idiot. So they get off the phone, and Paul's like, I'm brilliant. (laughs) I'm such genius. (laughs) But he starts thinking some more, and he starts making some notes, and he's like, you know something? I know of a couple people I'd like to kill. Obviously, I want to kill Amy, for sure. Uh, Duh. But I also want to kill these other two guys who I did some business with because they stole money from me. And stealing money is wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> Weird. So he gets on the phone with John O'Leary again. And here's a transcript of the call. Paul, I've got three jobs that's worth a hundred grand to you, man. John. I'm on, man. This game is on, buddy. I mean, it's on like Donkey Kong. Oh, so. my God. Paul, all right. (laughs) All right. Seemed like a fucking nerd. (laughs) Nerdiest hitman ever. (laughs) So Paul's like, I'd like to get this done as quickly as possible. And oh, hey, hey, let's be smart about this. Let's start talking in code. (laughs) Not a moment too soon. (laughs) Are you ready for the code? Yes. Instead of saying... Murder. Uh huh. They're gonna say digging a hole. So <laughs> that's dumb as fuck. Oh, it's so much more stupid than you think it is right now. I promise you. Oh my gosh. So let me break this down for you. Amy is hole number one, <laughs> <laughs> and the other two guys are holes two and three. <laughs> And in case you think they're being, like, really careful and trying to, like, do some dirt metaphors or something, no. In one phone call, Paul says, the thing I gotta express, we gotta concentrate 100 110% on the first hole. <laughs> <laughs> this is so dumb! Yep. <laughs> A few days later, John sends his co-worker, Richie, to visit Paul in prison. And Richie is a rough-looking dude. He's a thick white guy. He's bald. He's got pierced ears. And he appeared to be wearing, like, a homemade black tank top. What does that mean? A t-shirt with the sleeves cut off? Yeah, that's what What's I call it. a homemade tank top? It's homemade because I'm looking at this pictures of this guy. I'm like, mm, you did not buy it that way. And you don't know anyone who's good with a needle because, like, they would have sewed that up a little better. So they meet, and Paul's like, let's talk about hole number one. Before she dies, 
You need to get a signed confession out of her. This is literally how he's talking. They use the code word, yeah. hole number one. Before she dies. Yes. The next yes. sentence out of his mouth. Neat. Neat. He's so smart. What could go wrong? Such a genius. I know. He's like, before she dies. Is he going to get caught? I'm afraid so. Well, imagine that. I don't know why. You know, the police are very smart, you know. So You mean they managed to crack this code? <laughs> they must have had some, like, Harvard guys on the case. I like, think they got mm, the... Uh, digging Hole number one. The Navajo mm. wind talkers. <laughs> He goes, before she dies, you need to get a signed confession out of her. And in that confession, she needs to say that there was no conspiracy between me and John. Also, she needs to confess that she put this whole scheme together herself. She's the one who stole all the money. She's the one who ran the Ponzi scheme. What? How's this guy supposed to do that? Maybe he's the best in the biz. (laughs) (laughs) No, the other, I mean, like... Just thinking logically. Can we stop for a second? So, yeah. Let's pretend she is the one who starts the Ponzi scheme. She starts a Ponzi scheme and she gives him all the money to no, buy his girlfriend a boob sense. job no. and, like, a lawn fountain? No. no. Okay. It's not... It's never going to work. But even... You don't know. You don't know the end of the story. <laughs> I, I, the end is that Amy dies. I <laughs> see the future for a second. <laughs> so... He's like, let's do the confession and suicide combo pack, please. (laughs) In the suicide note, have her write that she's had like a come to Jesus meeting and she can't handle all the awful things she's done. So she has to kill herself. Okay. And please don't make any of this easy on her. I want her to suffer. Wow. So he makes a list of the ways he wants Amy to be tortured, which again you're in prison. Why the hell would you write things down? Yeah. Uh, but he does. First, he wants them to knock her unconscious, then strip her naked, then tape her to a chair, put a hood over her head, shove a curling iron up somewhere. They didn't say, I guess American Greed got a little too precious with it. <laughs> but, you know. Use your imagination. I'm assuming they didn't want to do her hair. <laughs> then Paul's like, look, if this brilliant plan... Somehow doesn't work out. I've got a backup plan that'll for sure get me out of prison. Oh, yeah? Are you ready for the backup plan? Yeah. Oh, could I have you guess at what the backup plan would be? If, if they can't kill the star witness, who do you kill? Uh, the prosecutor? Yeah. Because, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, he's the only prosecutor He's the only prosecutor, on absolutely. You kill Nobody him, else, and, done. and everyone can get away with every crime. That's right. Damn, we should have had more than one prosecutor. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's hole number four, in case you're keeping track. Wow. Murder the prosecutor. Great. You might be wondering, how is Paul planning to pay the hitman? Yeah. Here was the plan. He's like, look, I know what these people have in the bank. Before you kill them, take them to the bank. Get hole number one to take out this amount. Get hole number two to take out this amount. Hole number three, this amount. This is just a terrible plan all around. Yeah, I mean, even if that was... I mean, I hate to tell somebody how to kill somebody, but I just imagine it's a tough job and, like, getting them to a bank Bank, where there are cameras all around. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, he's like, 
look, you can take a portion of each hole's money, and I'll take the rest. This hitman is going for this? No. No. Okay. Because here's the thing. That's not um, within the common business practices of hitmen. (laughs) (laughs) It's without the outside the lines of the hitman's oath. (laughs) (laughs) The American Greed episode was like, hitmen don't work on consignment. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they prefer the upfront sum. Uh, Like a down payment. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul calls his brother Dave. And he tells him all about the plans. And he's like, look, Dave, you owe me $10,000. You know you owe me $10,000. So I need you to pay me back what you owe me so I can go through with this plan. But Dave is like, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, I don't have $10,000 lying around. Yeah. And if I did, I would not finance this ridiculous plan. This is insane. Yes. And you're a fucking idiot. Yep. He was like, you're not going to get away with this. And Paul was so mad that he hung up. By this point. Dramatically. Yes. Slammed down the phone. (laughs) That's right. Hmm. Paul is pissed. Because if he can't pay the hitman, then his brilliant plan is going to just fall to shit. Mm Mm-hmm. He calls the hitman. He's like, my brother brother Dave is being kind of a pill. (laughs) But here's the thing. I know he can afford to do this. He says he can't. I know he can. But the only way you're going to get the money is if you kill him, too. Hole number five. So we got a new hole. (laughs) But we're going to have to move him to the front so that you get the money. Hey, I cannot stress this enough. We've got to concentrate on hole number one. (laughs) Here's a transcript of that conversation. Because believe it or not, this whole thing was recorded. Oh, uh, really? yeah, yeah. It's weird. They don't give prisoners a ton of privacy. <laughs> Paul, you may have to get to that point. John, really? And you're good with that. Paul, I'm good with it. It's not up to me, you know? John, I understand, but here's the thing. After we hung up, we called your brother back, okay? Paul, okay. John, and your brother said, look, I don't have 10000 If you guys want to come and beat me up and kill me, you can kill me. It ain't still going to change that you ain't going to get ten grand out of me. Paul, I guess we'll find out. Huh? <gasps> mm-hmm. What the fuck? My favorite part of that is when he's like, it ain't still going to change. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, when Paul's like, it's not up to me. It is up to you. You're the one putting the hit on. Dave is the one who's being a dick. (laughs) It's not up to Paul. (laughs) Dave knows he should pony up the 10 grand. But 10 grand is only 10% of what he... Uh, Yeah, 10 grand is nothing. Yeah, it's 10% of the first hole. You know what? You know what? I'm thinking now. So people, people who fell for his tricks fell for stuff that sounded too good to be true. Yeah. He's falling for something that seems yeah. too good to be true. Ten men, hitmen who are like, yeah, we'll kill all these people for 10 grand? Yeah. No. No. Then, on September 27th, 2012, Paul's plan becomes a reality. He gets a phone call from John. Here's how it goes. Paul, what's happening, man? Tell me the good news. John, 
Well, you're sure you wanted some stuff done, right? Paul. Yep. John. Here's the news. You sitting down? Paul. Yeah, I am. John. All right. Lisa, he means to say Amy. He says Lisa. Lisa's in the trunk of my car right now as I'm driving down the fucking interstate, okay? Paul. Okay. John. What do you think of that, buddy? Paul. I think that's awesome. Is he a cop? Is John a cop? Of course. Yeah. Of course he's a cop. (laughs) John is very reassuring. He's like, look, Richie's pulling her teeth out right now. We'll get the confession very soon. Then we'll kill her. Thank you for choosing John's Hintman Services. <laughs> By the way, you wanted her cremated, right? And, and Paul's like, yeah. He's like, okay, we'll do that too. Don't you worry. We got this whole thing under control. The conversation is very happy, very light. They're having a great time. Everyone's pumped. We're all getting money. Paul will be out of prison in no time, and we'll all party together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul is like, oh, this is just fabulous. Yeah. If it's not too much trouble... Could you let her know that she's dying because I'm avenging my brother's suicide? Oh, my God. (laughs) And John's like, sure. Yeah, no problem. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They hang up the phone. Paul goes back to his cell to write a quick note to his brother, Dave. And he's like, hey, good news. Amy admitted the whole thing. It's crazy. She did the whole thing. Yeah. Mm hmm. It was all, you know, it was the guilt. It made her commit suicide. Oh, gosh. See you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Paul is totally thrilled. He thinks he's getting away with everything. But Paul was a total fucking numbnuts. Yeah. Because his cellmate, Dre, never really set him up with a hitman. Of course he didn't. And John O'Leary, the hitman, didn't exist. But John Leahy, the FBI agent, did. (laughs) So they move Paul into solitary confinement. And that's when he slowly realizes, oh, shit, I was talking to an FBI agent. Duh, fucking idiot. So he tries to slip a note to Dre. The note says, like, hey, man, just warning you, we're both in a lot of trouble. Uh, no, we're not. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Let me read you (laughs) verbatim from one Uh of his notes. John O'Leary is an ATF agent. He duped you and me. <laughs> he needs to go before he needs to go before he can testify against us, or we will be in prison for the rest of our lives. Oh my god, this guy's a fucking idiot. And of course, the notes were discovered. So what? If you're counting now, that's six holes. Because now <laughs> this this guy's gotta oh go my, too. This guy's got holes everywhere. <laughs> A month after his hitman plan went to shit, Paul was indicted on new charges. His trial took place in February of 2013. Yeah. Here's the thing that sucks about this. And I am very sorry, because I hate this. Mm -hmm. So the American Greed episode did not go into the trial much. Yeah. And I was like, that's cool. This story is amazing. I'll just look up the trial stuff. You can't find it. I had a hell of a time. you can't find it. I got some details, and I'm sorry. It's okay. Okay. This story's been amazing. It's fine. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So his trial took place in February of 2013. Paul claimed he was innocent. 
His attorneys asked for leniency. They said that Paul suffered from depression and that his divorce in the 90s really affected him. <laughs> Which I think is a great argument because we all know people who've been divorced and all of them want to kill six people That's and correct. they want to create a business yes. that like steals money from their yep. friends. Yep, very common issue. Uh, <laughs> from caused by divorce. <laughs> That's why it's important to stay married. <laughs> you That's don't right. want to become a murderer. <laughs> They pointed out that in 2012, he was found in public, wandering naked, and covered in poop. What? <laughs> so, I again, this is like a snippet I got from a random article. Um, they were bringing this up as like, clearly this guy has mental health issues, blah, blah, blah. To me, that sounds like drugs. I don't know. Or weird sex stuff. No, not everything is a sex thing. What are you getting? What are you I getting? I figured it was from- your kiss, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely sounds like drugs, or yeah, yeah, or like someone super turned on, cover themselves in poop, and goes to the park. You know, <laughs> right? I mean, you got that park across the street from your house. Constantly naked dudes wandering around. They're just poop all over. Them. Zach has to come out. Oh, Brandy's out again. (laughs) Oh, in in your idea, Zach's hosting people. (laughs) You think I'm over there (laughs) the dudes to pay attention to me? Yeah, in my fantasy of this, you're out there and Zach's having to, like, corral you back in. In your fantasy, your husband is going to the park with a hose. <laughs> no, he's like turning the hose on him, like, get out of here! Oh, I thought he was cleansing no! them. <laughs> no, in reality, what would really happen is Zach would lift one slat of the blinds, just peep out, and then call the police. <laughs> he's like the neighborhood like watch guy. Is he 80? I mean, what's he the is, deal? He, yeah, he's like, get off my lawn! Those Eagle Scouts. Mm. They can go one of two ways. <laughs> Serial killer or neighborhood watch. I'm glad. I'm glad you picked the neighborhood watch guy. The defense attorneys are, you know, hoping to, to get some leniency. But the prosecutors were like, how about you don't be lenient? Mm-hmm. Because this guy committed egregious white collar crimes and violent crimes. They wanted him to get 40 years in prison. Yeah. Fun fact. The lead prosecutor was Mark Devereaux, one of the holes. Oh! (laughs) Yeah, which I was surprised. That's not a conflict of interest? It really shocked me. Yeah. But you know, it's not like he was hole number one. (laughs) Weirdly, there were two on this case. Um, Hmm. I think that is a conflict of interest. Yeah, well, it happened. (laughs) (laughs) Victims of his financial scheme testified, as well as Amy... Pause. I, I just feel like it's setting it up to where an appeal could yeah, possibly that does seem, come through. And again, I didn't get enough info yeah, on yeah. how this no, all no, went no. down. I, so I don't know if maybe... Me, as someone who has researched for podcasts, yeah. it's really hard to find those details. I And I hate that because yeah. I thought for sure this was such a crazy case. I thought there'd be a ton of info on it. Yeah. And I, if there was, I didn't see it. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it was one of those things where Mark kind of sat out yeah, but he yeah. was just listed as a prosecutor yeah. I don't know he was a bench warmer <laughs> so victims of <laughs> <on> the <laughs> <laughs> they 
called me a hole. <laughs> so victims of his financial scheme testified, as well as Amy, Paul's brother Dave, and the agent John Leahy. Yeah. <laughs> the jury deliberated for less than two hours. I bet. They found him guilty. At sentencing, Paul spoke. He said, Judge, I propose that you let me just go back to the working world. What? Yeah. Let me go back to paying back all the people I've wronged. I'm not going to be any use to society in prison. You aren't any use to society outside of prison. Yeah. The judge was like, no, how about you go to prison for 30 years? Yeah. At the end of that, you're going to get five years of supervised probation. They didn't say supervised probation, but that's what it seemed like. And you need to pay back $897,960. Wow. Which, that's not Not going to happen. But, okay. Yeah. Here's a fun fact. If he hadn't tried to murder all those people Mm -hmm. in that stupid scheme, he probably would have done a few years in a minimum security prison. Like five years, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. In total, Paul stole almost a million dollars from 21 victims. Yeah. Investigators say it's pretty amazing that he was caught so early in the scheme because it was only going to get bigger. And I don't mean for that to try to minimize, like, the people it happened to, because no, obviously this was... yeah, pyramids out. Yeah. yeah. They basically said if Amy Weatherford hadn't stopped it, who knows? Yeah, did she how. get a reward? She should get like a gold star. I hope so. And she was a badass. Free ice cream cones for life. You would think. Yeah. She she seriously was such a badass. She's yeah. like, and she was tough. Well, she had a lot to risk by yeah. doing this because like she's living there. Like that, yeah, yeah. She really put a lot at risk by coming forward. Yeah. Yeah. And in some other interview I saw with her, she's talked about like, you know, I don't come from an area where snitching is okay, but I had to do it. Yeah. You know, I, had, I had to do the right thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. That is crazy. That's amazing. So that's the story of the white collar crime was turned crazy. violent. That was so crazy. All right. Um, I'm going to start off by telling you that I found out about this case from that same Instagram that I told you about before. Oh, the, my God. This Day in Crime. Excellent. Love it. Okay. I'd never heard of this case, and I am obsessed with it. All right. Okay. Anthony Curcio seemed to have it all. Born September 1st, 1980 in Monroe, Washington, a small city of about 18,000 people, 30 miles northeast of Seattle, Anthony lived a fairly privileged life. He... His parents owned and operated a successful landscaping company, and Anthony seemed to excel at everything he did. By high school, he was captain of both his basketball and football team, and he was dating the hottest cheerleader in school. The couple seemed like the perfect match and were the envy of all their peers. The teachers at the school even took to calling Emily, Anthony's girlfriend, Mrs. Curcio. Wow. When he wasn't setting school records on the basketball court and the football field, he was the guy everyone wanted to be around. He was the life of all of the high school parties. He was just out there living his best life. After high school, Anthony followed in his father's footsteps and earned a scholarship to play football at the University of Idaho. 
He would quickly find himself in trouble, though, as he got caught up in the party lifestyle on campus. He spent his freshman year suspended from the football team. Oh. Yeah. He partied too hard to be on a football team? Mm-hmm. What did he do? I'm sure that he was caught drinking. You're not supposed to do any of that if you're... Well... <laughs> I mean, I know you're not supposed to. Okay. Um, he got a bit of a break his sophomore year, though, when a new coach took over the team. He had a clean slate. He was training hard and living right. This was going to be his year. Mm-hmm. Then tragedy struck. While returning a punt in practice, Anthony tore his ACL. Oh. He would never play football again. But it was what happened after the injury that would cause Anthony's life to begin to spiral out of control. Anthony was prescribed Vicodin for the pain. Oh, gosh. And he quickly became addicted to the drug. Of his spiral into addiction, Anthony said, I was depressed that my whole identity wrapped around sports was gone. Now I was just a student. I latched onto the painkillers, and within a few prescriptions, my dream of football was gone. The pills had me. Hmm. But the prescription for his torn ACL only lasted so long. Soon, he was showing up at doctor's offices under different names with different ailments to get new prescriptions. This is so sad. It is. I it's hate super this. sad. Yeah. yeah. When that didn't work, he turned to drug dealers on campus to of get course. his supply. Yeah. But that was expensive, so he took to selling stuff on eBay to support his habit. The problem was that it wasn't always his stuff mm-hmm. he was selling on eBay. We only have so much nice stuff in a yeah. college dorm. Sometimes it was stuff he took from other dorm rooms. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was university property. Sometimes it was stuff he stole from people when he dressed up as a mover and took off with their property. Wow, so that's he would, pretty smart. He would dress up as a mover, pretend to be, you know, yeah. moving their stuff, and then he'd just take off with it. And I'm sorry, but I feel like in a college dorm, you can get away with anything if oh, you're yeah. dressed the right way. And you yeah. Just... But all of that was a lot of work. And so when that just got to be too much work, he began counterfeiting highly collectible baseball cards and selling them for thousands of dollars on eBay. I love this. Anthony was like the real life Zach Morris. <laughs> he always had a new money making scheme. And when it stopped working or someone caught on to him, he was on to the next. Mm-hmm. It appears that he never got into any serious trouble for these schemes. And all the while, Emily was still by his side. They were still together. They married after college and started a family with the addition of two daughters. As an addict, though, Anthony's perception was that he was balancing it all. The family and the addiction, he had it all taken care of, no problem, everything was good. But on the outside, that obviously wasn't the case. His family begged him to get help, and over the next few years, he would do four stints in rehab. But the addiction was there, under the surface, and a relapse seemed inevitable every time lurking under the surface of this outwardly successful businessman. Mm-hmm. By 2008, Anthony's family was living in a beautiful new home in Seattle. He owned a successful real estate investment company where he was flipping Whoa. houses. And he'd gotten really good at hiding his addiction. 
This was 08? Yeah. Before the bust? Mm-hmm. Oh. By now, it had snowballed to a $15,000 a month habit <gasps> that included not only Vicodin, but cocaine and Xanax. Oh, my. Oh, sorry. I sounded like a gremlin. <laughs> oh, my. Ugh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> and then, just as you predicted, the housing bubble burst. Mm. The real estate market crash. Yeah, I predicted that. (laughs) (laughs) And Anthony was fucked. Yeah. He'd been making a shit ton of money flipping houses, Mm. but he'd been blowing it all on drugs. He hadn't saved anything to speak of, and now there was no money coming in. No money to support his family. No money to support his addiction. Should have gone to Yorkshire Financial. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony was pissed Mm. was he pissed at himself for making bad decisions and not saving for the future of course not (laughs) he was pissed at the big banks for letting this happen and then getting a government bailout where was his bailout he wondered as he sat outside the bank of america branch in monroe watching the brinks armored truck deliver more money to the bank okay i'm intrigued and that's when he started planning The almost perfect crime. Okay, I have to just insert a little something here that says, there are parts of this crime and the planning that I am just in absolute awe of, but I am in no way condoning robbery or in any way am I pro-armored truck heist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you made that clear. Over the next eight months... Anthony spent countless hours planning the ins and outs of what would be his greatest money-making scheme yet. He knew a bank robbery would be too risky. Yeah. I mean, bank robbers, they get, the majority of the time, they're caught. There's too many cameras, too many people involved. But what if... And I always feel like they don't get as much money as you think they would get. Exactly. So what if he could get his hands on the money before... It went into the bank. What? And that's how Anthony Curcio decided he would pull off the most amazing armored car heist I've ever heard of. <laughs> First, Anthony learned everything he could about, about Brink's armored cars. What was its routine? What route did it run? What was the layout of the truck? Did it have any blind spots? He gathered this information by doing extensive surveillance. At times, he would sit in his car and draw elaborately detailed sketches of the truck. These sketches are nuts. They look like fucking blueprints. Oh, my God. Other times, he'd hide in plain sight and dress like a landscaper so he could be out in the open and get a closer view of the truck including the procedure that was followed when the bags of money were taken off the truck, put on a dolly, and taken into the bank. It was during this transfer that he saw the biggest opportunity. He needed to get those bags after they were off the truck, but before they made it into the bank. He had a very small window if he was going to pull this off. Next, Anthony focused on the getaway. How could he make the quickest, cleanest escape? The bank was located in town, and what appears to me, I looked it up, and it's a fairly busy area with lots of shops and restaurants around, um, but no direct interstate access. Okay. 
which is what I would guess led him to the idea of a water escape. What? About 100 yards from the bank was Woods Creek, which feeds into the Skykomish Skykomish River. Yeah, the second one. (laughs) (laughs) This is how he'd make his escape. Initially, Anthony had the idea to use a jet ski in his trip down the creek to the river. But he pretty quickly discovered that several areas of the creek were too shallow for this. So he spent weeks digging out the bottom of the creek no. bed in those areas. Oh my gosh. Is that not nuts? He's in this creek digging it out by hand. Finally, he decided he couldn't do enough. He just was not going to be able to get this creek deep enough to be able to take a jet ski through it. And then there was also the trouble of how do I sneak a jet ski into this creek? You know, I get now why you gave the disclaimer because I am impressed. I am. This is nuts. Like my mind is blown by this and I haven't even gotten to the best part. But you know what I'm thinking? What? If he was this smart and the this thing, strategic, if he had like applied that to well, a legit business, okay. he could have. And made- so he talked about like he talks about this a little bit. And I didn't include this. So I'll insert now is that like when he was high, when he was in his addiction. Yeah. He was like super OCD. So he could think about like every detail of something oh. like to like the minutest detail yeah. so that he could completely see it start to finish. So, I mean, if his mind was capable of that, yeah, yeah, think about if it was directed in yeah, God, that's a crazy. positive manner. Yeah. So he decides that a jet ski is just not going to work. He can't, he's not going to be able to sneak it down there. He's going to have to back it in there on a trailer. Right, Somebody's going right. to see him, whatever. And so he's like, okay, that's not going to work. What's the next, what's my next choice to try and get, do a water escape? Yeah. So he comes up with the idea of an inner tube. And I'm not talking your dollar store pool float <laughs> inner tube. Think more of like one of those big ones, like heavy duty ones that you like pull behind a boat. Like oh. a giant inner tube. Okay. Okay. Like this, the one he uses is red and, or no, it's yellow and black and it's big. Like, like water park thing where you like take yeah, it up yeah. the ladder. Yeah, but he- more heavy duty than that. Like, have you ever been on a boat and you've gone tubing? Like where they oh, pull yeah, you yeah, behind? Yeah, yeah, yeah like okay. that. Gotcha. Like that. Gotcha. Okay. The inner tube idea was not without its own issues, though. Anthony knew he needed to make a quick getaway, and with the weight of him and the money, he knew that there would be portions of the creek where the water just didn't move fast enough mm-hmm. to keep propelling him down the creek to the river. So he strung up a cable system along the creek where he could pull what? himself along in those slower moving areas. Oh my God. Is that not fucking crazy? Yeah, that's nuts. I hope, okay. Can you tell us right now how much he anticipated he would make from this scheme? No. Oh. Because I'm, I'm willing to bet it's not enough. Like, if you were to, like, figure out the dollar rate per hour of how much yeah, he, time he, he spent. Yes. Yeah. So, with his escape plan worked out, now Anthony focused on a disguise. He knew he needed a disguise that would help him blend in prior to the heist so that he could be in position. During his surveillance, he'd managed to blend in really well, posing as a landscaper. Mm -hmm. 
So he continued with that. Anthony sewed himself a tearaway landscaping oh disguise, complete with hat, wig, vest, and mask, so he could quickly shed the disguise as he ran to the creek. Wow. So it's like uh, he sews like a, a shirt and pants, like with Velcro, so that he can just like rip them off. And then the description that a witness might give, he no longer matches. Mask and wig included. Yeah. So he has like a painter's mask okay. on his face. Yeah. yeah. A hat, a wig, safety glasses. Yeah. Painter's mask, tearaway clothes. Yeah. Yeah. This is incredible. Okay. So he's got the heist plan. Check. The getaway planned. Check. And he's got his disguise planned. Check. But there was one more thing Anthony wanted to put in place to make sure he could pull this off and get away without being caught. Mm -hmm. That's where the decoys came in. (gasps) On September 27th, 2008, Anthony placed an ad on Craigslist seeking day laborers with landscaping experience. The post promised an hourly rate of twenty-eight fifty uh, for a week-long job as part of the fictitious beautification of Monroe project. Mm-hmm. Respondents to the ad were given instructions to arrive wearing a blue shirt, blue hat, a neon safety vest, safety glasses, and a painter's mask. Half of the people were directed to meet at Eagle Park, which is just across the street from the bank. And half were directed to meet in a parking lot of a grocery store next to the bank. Oh, my gosh. All were given the instruction not to leave until the project manager arrived and gave them instructions. So he's got like a dozen people dressed in the exact same outfit he's going to be dressed in. Yes. At the parking lot right next to the bank. And he's got a dozen people dressed exactly the same. At the park across the street, which is where he has to run to get into the creek. Yeah. Then, on September 30th, 2008, with his decoys in place, Anthony Curcio, dressed in his matching disguise, positioned himself outside the Bank of America branch, again posing as a landscaper. At just after 11 o'clock a.m., I think it was 11.04, okay. um, he set down his weed sprayer, pulled out a can of pepper spray and sprayed the armed Brinks guard directly in the face. Whoa. When the guard let go of the dolly holding the canvas bags full of money to grab his face, just as Anthony knew he would, uh-huh. Anthony grabbed the two bags and sprinted off in the direction of the creek, sh- shedding his disguise along the way. Oh my gosh. One thing didn't go according to plan, though. When Anthony ran into the street, he was nearly hit by a truck which caused him to drop one of the bags of money. Anthony knew he couldn't waste even a second picking it up and continued the 100-yard dash to the creek with only half of his haul. Just moments later, though, he was safely in his inner tube, floating to freedom with a bag containing $400,000. Okay, I had in my head... That this seemed like a decent plan for like a million dollars. So he's not... Yeah, yeah. so had he gotten both bags, it would have been about 800000 Yeah. Yeah. Yep. When police arrived on the scene, they got the description of the suspect. But obviously, there was a problem. Oh my gosh. There were over a dozen people in the area matching that description. The decoys had done their job. 
Instead of following Anthony downstream, they were interviewing more than 15 decoys as Anthony got further and further away. This is so smart. It is. It's so smart. Genius. The only real evidence detectives had in the case were the discarded pieces of Anthony's disguise and the description of a tall man with an athletic build running toward the creek. (laughs) Well, lock him up. Yeah. (laughs) The media quickly dubbed Anthony D.B. Tuber, a nod to the famed uh, plane hijacker D.B. Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. And people couldn't stop talking about this seemingly perfect crime. Yeah. The mystery man seemed to have pulled it off. And he might have gotten away with it. Was it the Craigslist email? If it hadn't been for that meddling homeless man. What? (laughs) No, so the Craigslist had, they weren't able to track it back. They tried to track it back, but they they didn't. They couldn't? They couldn't. Okay, I thought that would be his undoing. No. All right, okay. As Monroe detectives were taking stock of what they had in the case, the wig, the vest, the hat, the mask, which they'd sent off to the lab to see if they could extract DNA from, one of the detectives' memories flashed back to a patrol report he had stumbled across three or so weeks prior. A homeless man had called police because he'd been rummaging through a dumpster at one of his regular hangouts when he noticed something stashed next to the dumpster. It was a wig mask, hat, safety glasses, and the largest can of pepper spray he'd ever seen, he told the dispatcher. He told them he just wanted to call it in because it seemed suspicious, uh-huh. and because he was known to hang around that dumpster quite a bit, he and didn't, didn't want to be, he didn't want to be yeah. a suspect if that stuff was later used in some kind of crime. Okay, yeah. The dispatcher got the homeless man's name and told him that she'd send someone out to check it out, but nothing really came of that call. Detectives believed now that that stuff had been stashed there during a dry run of the heist. And they knew they needed to track down that homeless man to see if he knew anything else. But how do you track someone down without an address? Mm. All they had was this guy's name. So the detectives went to McDonald's and they got a bag of 10 cheeseburgers. And they went to a known homeless tent village in the area and started trading cheeseburgers for information. What? Started talking to the homeless guys. Answer my question, I'll give you a cheeseburger. When they were down to just four cheeseburgers left, they found their guy. And boy, were they glad they found him. He told detectives that shortly after he called in about the stashed disguise, a man had come out of the woods in the area and grabbed the stuff. Again, just wanting to make sure he couldn't later be blamed for something, the homeless man had watched the man get into his car, and he'd written down his license plate number. And he just kept it. He didn't call it in. He just kept it just in case it ever came up. Oh, my gosh. When detectives ran the plate, it came back to Emily Curcio. They knew her husband, Anthony, was tall and athletic. Oh, my gosh. So they put him under surveillance. Under surveillance, they watched him go on expensive shopping sprees. Mm-hmm. He was buying stuff at the mall. He was going to Burberry. He was going to Coach. He was buying all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, 2008. He bought a Range Rover. <laughs> the preferred vehicle of all criminals. <laughs> 
he went to Vegas with his buddies and his teenage mistress. Ew, no. <laughs> yeah, he's like 28 at this point. Uh, yeah. And he has a wife and two kids. Uh, In the meantime, remember, they've sent his lap. His- Does Emily know about the... No? At this point, no. Okay. So... He, they've sent him this mask that they recovered off to the lab, right? To see if mm-hmm. they could pull DNA off sure. of it. And they di- were able to. Yeah. They got saliva off of it. Hell yeah. So they've got a DNA profile. Mm-hmm. But they don't have anything to match to it. And so they're following him around. He goes to a gas station. Puts gas in his Range Rover. Throws away some trash. In that trash is a Gatorade bottle. Yeah. <gasps> That he'd been using as his chew spit bottle. Oh, let this be a lesson to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Don't chew tobacco. So gross. <laughs> so gross. So they pull that Gatorade bottle out Ugh. of the trash. They grab that spit juice out of there. Ugh. Send it off to the lab. Wouldn't you know? It's a perfect DNA match. They have their guy. Ugh. Why does your face look like that? I just think that's disgusting. <laughs> it is gross. And I think, I mean, I don't even like chewing gum, because I think that's gross. <laughs> but chewing something and then actively spitting, and I, I'm sorry, if you're going to do it, don't do it in a clear bottle where everybody has to look at They nasty. don't actually chew the tobacco. I know, but then they spit it out, and then you've yeah. got, like, this nasty spit juice in a clear Gatorade bottle that yeah. everyone has to observe. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah, so get a dark bottle so people <laughs> don't have to see. So on November 4th... Do you want more advice from me? I don't. No, not okay. on that. I, I don't chew tobacco, so I don't need your advice. Well, just in case you're thinking about picking it I'm up. I'm not. <laughs> Uh, one of the articles even said that it was specifically like cold winter grain <laughs> tobacco. Listen, I'm all for details, but I think that is irrelevant. <laughs> so on November 4th, 2008, Anthony was arrested while sitting in his Range Rover in a Target parking lot. He had $17,000 on him at the time of his arrest. Wow. So they arrest him. They go to his house. Wait, how long has it been since the robbery? Uh, so the robbery happened, not, it's been just over a month. It okay, happened gotcha. September 30th. They gotcha. arrest him November 4th. Okay. So they arrest him and they go to his house. Because mm-hmm. they need to search his house, try and recover the rest of this money. Emily answers the door and she's like, what are you guys doing here? Who are you? What is this? And they're like, we've arrested your husband. He's the, he's the tuber guy. Oh my God. And she she's shocked. Had no clue. None of the money is in their house. They do end up recovering all of the money, but he had it stashed at a friend's house. Wow. Yeah. So it seems that she probably really did not know. Uh But where'd she think the fucking Range Rover came from? Yeah. He, Unless he he had some brilliant scheme to lie to her. I mean, surely well, if he planned out everything else, surely he could figure out I'm a sure plan he could. And, to lie to And, you know, wife. I just thought of this, too, is that he has been making all of this money flipping houses, and she doesn't know that he's been blowing $15,000 a month on his addiction. So yeah. maybe she thinks they're fine. They've got tons of savings. Yeah, he's super manipulative. Yeah. So, of course, yeah. he... So, yeah. yeah, I bet she really had yeah. no clue. Yeah. Which would just be devastating. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. So initially, he was charged in, um, like, just like, uh, in like regular county court. Okay. But then, because of the Hobbs Act, which is this law that was passed like in the 1950s, basically, any because it wasn't a bank robbery, it didn't automatically qualify as a federal crime. Okay. Because he didn't enter the bank. But what? because yes, but because of this Hobbs Act, basically, if there's any kind of like the gist that I got of this is there any kind of like extenuating circumstance uh, in a yeah. robbery that escalates it to a federal crime. Yeah. So they're like, oh, good. Okay, great. Now we can charge you with a federal crime. Yeah. So they charge him in federal court. And again, there's not much available about the trial. There wasn't even a trial because he pled guilty. He, uh-huh. he pled for a deal. Um, and this is really interesting to me. Because even the prosecutor and the judge both seemed impressed by the level of planning that went into this crime. Yeah. Yes. Well, you talk about my guy, dum dum num nuts over here, talking on the jail phone. Um, So, Assistant U.S. Attorney Bruce Miyake Mm -hmm. said, but for his two mistakes, he almost succeeded in planning. The perfect crime. And the prosecutor seemed sympathetic to Anthony in his recommendation to the judge of a five-year sentence, which is far less than the 20 years that he could have asked for. Yeah, so he was facing up to 20 years. The prosecution asked for five years. Mm -hmm. And in his his recommendation to the judge for this, uh, the prosecutor says, lurking underneath the all-American boy image was a dark individual racked by his addiction to painkillers. If he is able to control the demons in his life, he has great potential. Uh, okay. I think that's such a crazy argument from the prosecutor. Yeah. It's almost like he duped you too. Well, yeah, that's um, exactly what it seems like. Yeah, and I agree, someone that intelligent, yes, if they would put that energy into positive things, who knows what could happen, but I think it's just as likely that he wouldn't put it into positive yeah. things, and he's going to become a even bigger menace to society. He, yeah, absolutely. Along with the prosecutor's recommendation, Anthony's friends and family submitted more than 100 pages of letters attesting to his fundamentally good character highlighting his struggles, asking for leniency, and expressing their hopes that he would emerge from prison a changed man. In her letter, his wife Emily wrote, the path of destruction Anthony was on had only two destinations, prison or death. I am so grateful, especially for the sake of his daughters, that his new home is a cell and not a coffin. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty... It hits, hits hard. Yeah. Ultimately, the U.S. District Court Judge James Robart sentenced Anthony to, do you have a guess? How many years he got? I, uh, Somewhere I, between 5 and 20? I think it should be 10. So the judge sentenced him to six years in federal prison. So he went more than what the prosecution asked for, but nowhere near the crazy. max. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, He said that though this heist was well-planned, 
it was not charming, but tragic, as Anthony had betrayed his family and endangered everyone from the armored car guards to the hopeful day laborers who had shown up looking for work. Oh, you know what? That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Absolutely. So one of the reasons that he um, posted the the decoys at multiple locations is in case the pepper spray was not super effective on the guard. The guard is armed. Yeah. So the thought was that if he had these decoys, the guard would look up and there'd be too many people. Yeah. He wouldn't be able to shoot at him. <gasps> Wow. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I only thought about, oh, now the police are here. They're going to try to interview. Yeah. Yeah. So like if the guard had looked up and tried to shoot, he wouldn't have done it because there were too many people that looked too much alike. Yeah. Man. In prison, Anthony completed a drug treatment program Mm -hmm. and it seemed to stick this time. He wrote several children's books while he was in prison. He wrote them. He um, illustrated them. They've been published. What? Yeah. One's called... Self-published or like... No, like with a real publishing company. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of them's called like My Daddy's in Prison, like, or My Daddy's in Jail. Yeah, like... That's kind of cool. It's really cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He wrote books about, um, like, well-known sports figures, children's books. So, like, Steph Curry and LeBron James kind of detailing, like, what their... How they, you know, grew up to, like, how they have this successful life now by making the right choices. Wow. Yeah. After his release from prison in April of 2013, so he didn't serve... I mean... I don't think he served all of the 72 months. I think he got out early. He reunited with his wife and daughters. While he was in prison, he wrote countless letters to Emily and confessed all of the sins of his life to her. Mm -hmm. Told her everything he'd ever done, the affair that he'd had, cheating on her, you know, being the addiction for years and years and years that she did. He came clean about it all. And when they, when he got out of prison, they started over. They're still married. Wow. She stayed by his side. Wow. And when asked in an interview how she could stay with him after all of that, she said, well. He's a different person. He's now? a different person. Yeah. That the that was the addiction. That wasn't Anthony. That was his illness. Hmm. That's a good lady. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a book about his experience and his time in prison, it's called heist and high. And since being released from prison, he's become an inspirational speaker. He speaks to college athletes, to high school athletes. He's done a Ted talk. Like what? Yeah. Did you watch it? I didn't. Oh my gosh. I have to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's really made the decision to, to focus on trying to lead a positive life. That's amazing. And really put like what he does. He does have an amazing mind and Uh really put it towards something good rather than something bad. And as far as I know, as as far as I found, he's still clean. That story is incredible. I've never heard of it. Is that nuts? Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of it. I had never heard of it either. Completely nuts. Yeah. So thank you to uh, that Instagram, This Day in Crime, for. 
for posting about that so I could find out all of that craziness. And you guys, if you have any episode suggestions for us, just keep posting on your Instagram. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so that's the story of Anthony Curcio. Oh, that's crazy. Is that not like I my mind was blown about all yeah. of the stuff. And it was. It was two he made two mistakes. He left the mask behind, left mm-hmm. his DNA behind, and he got he was seen by that homeless guy doing that dry run. What was and his so, name? Did you get his name? Uh, uh, I either his first or last name was Allen. That's all okay. that I. Gotcha. He's in none of the articles is he mentioned. I watched one little news clip where he okay. was mentioned. Okay, um, he was mentioned in some of the articles, but not by name, just right. as a homeless guy. Um, when. Anthony came out of the woods and went to pick the stuff up. The homeless guy was there. Cause like, this is where he like, yeah, that's where he lives. Yeah. He said, Hey, he saw him grab the stuff. And he said to Anthony, he's like, Hey, I called the police about that stuff. And Anthony said later, he's like, I remember thinking like, did I just fuck this whole thing up? Is this all going to come undone? And he decided, Nope, he was still going to go forward with it. Do you think he just underestimated Yeah, the guy? he thought there was yeah. no way that that guy would write his license plate number down. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. But, okay, now you said they recovered all of the money. That can't be right, right? I mean, if he bought a Range Rover. And yeah, so once, sh- like, when you bring in, like, the cost of those those items. So they oh, recovered okay. either the merchandise or all the money. There's a small amount of the money that was never recovered, and I guess he paid it to a friend to, like, pick him up from the river or something like that. Wow. But he never gave up the friend's name, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Some, whoever the accomplice was where the money was found, like they consider him an accomplice Mm -hmm. because he stashed this money in his house. They never charged that guy with anything either. Really? Yeah. But he knew the money was in his house. Obviously, yeah. But he probably said, oh, I didn't know it was. I didn't know what, yeah, I, I don't know. So another thing is that Anthony said later is that he had no idea, like, how much money $400,000 was. Because he just had it like in this, you know, canvas bag. He takes it to the house and he's like counting it out. Uh-huh. He's like, it was enough to fill a bathtub. Yeah. And then I had all this money and I was like, what the fuck do I do with it? I can't take it to a bank. Nope. Yeah. And so it was like, he just like had not, like he thought so meticulously through the crime. Yeah. But then hadn't thought at all about what to do after it. You know the thing I was wondering too? So it's these two bags. Yeah. $400,000 a piece. Yeah. How heavy is that? Super heavy. Yeah. See, that's the other Super, thing I was Well, that's thinking. why the armed guards dolly them into the bank. Yeah. yeah. And he's one guy yeah. who's going to... Uh, yeah. Maybe he was relieved when the car almost hit him. He's like, no, I have an excuse to drop <laughs> <Yes>. this bag. <laughs> he's like, well, this is way heavier than I thought it was going to be. Because he wouldn't have any idea how to know how heavy the bags were. It's not like he'd go up and lift one up and be like... I think I can carry two of those. But considering how much he thought about everything else, it does kind of surprise me that he didn't at least try to figure out. Calculate that out somehow. And maybe he did. Maybe maybe he did, yeah. Maybe he was hitting the gym really hard. Maybe he was, yeah. Skipping leg days. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Focusing all on arms. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just, I thought this was nuts. Yeah, you thought right. (laughs) Both of our cases this week were like, the people got brought down by yeah. these kind of random people. Yes. Crazy. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. I really loved this case. Yeah. It was a 
It was really exciting for me to research. Uh (laughs) I should have mentioned, my guy is also doing TED Talks. Oh, really? No. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) His TED Talk is just him saying, did you know they record those phone calls in prison? You're ever in prison. Just heads up. All those phone calls you're making, totally recorded. You think you're alone because you don't see anybody directly around you? You're not. You're not. Not at all. I also love thinking about his cellmate, Dre. Yeah. And how Paul just, like, assumed Dre would have these connections. He's like, yeah, yeah, let me hook you up with my guy. Hey, FBI! (laughs) (laughs) But it made me think, like, he was probably in a minimum, minimum security place. Yeah. So he just gets into this new cell, and he assumes his cellmate has these horrible connections. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. He's a fucking idiot. We should probably not. You had like the dumbest guy ever. Yeah. And I had like the smartest guy. (laughs) Part of me worries that he's going to come kill us now. I know. We're holes, I don't know, seven and eight. Shit. Okay. I would like to say Mm -hmm. for the government, who I'm sure is listening in, is that my internet search history... For the, mm, because, of, because of research Brink's in this case, truck. it's going to look like I'm planning an armored truck heist. <laughs> so it was just research for this case. I promise. Could you flex your biceps for me? I want to see. <laughs> I've been doing some canvas bag curls. <laughs> That's the new CrossFit right there. Oh my gosh. That was good stuff. I loved it. This is a good, good week. Not shitty like our usual episodes. <laughs> Hey, if you thought that this episode was good and not as shitty as our usual episodes, (laughs) then you should head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Find us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And then join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from the American Greed episode, A Mother's Costly Revenge, CNBC, and the Florida Times Union. And I got my info from ABC News, USA Today, the Seattle Times, and good old Wikipedia. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff.